Psalm 86, a prayer of David. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to me cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you, because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deed can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name for ever. For great is your love towards me. You will deliver me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me, because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness, that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Recent terrorist attacks remind us that arrogant and ruthless men with no regard for the true God want to kill us. These events also remind us that sometimes such men succeed. How can we turn to God for comfort in the midst of tragedy, and for protection in the midst of enemies, when he allows tragedy to happen and clearly doesn't protect everyone? Under attack from ruthless people who are trying to kill him, our psalmist, and let's assume this psalm of David is also by David, David appeals to the covenant treaty between God and Israel. David can say, you are my God, because God is the God of the covenant, and David has kept his end of the bargain. For I am faithful to you, save your servant who trusts you. But this isn't a matter of David earning God's favour, but if he's meeting the conditions for the covenantal relationship graciously extended by God. Now, Christians participate in the new covenant, the, run, the one written by Christ in his own blood, Luke 22.20. 20. For the Father's will is that everyone who sees the Son and trusts in him shall have eternal life, John 6.40, and that Jesus will raise him up on the last day. <coughs> However, David begins by asking God to answer him because he is, quote, poor and needy. One might think this description odd 
if our psalmist is indeed King David. But the Hebrew term for poor can also mean humble or afflicted. David knows God is by nature on the side of the poor. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. According to Job, God will save the humble. In other words, David sees beyond the contractual relationship between God and Israel. His plea isn't ultimately grounded in a legal contract, but in the character of the God with whom Israel has a legal contract. And that covenant wouldn't be worth the paper it was written on if God were not great in strength and forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call. A compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. For the covenant isn't some external power that binds God's hands against his will, but a partial expression of God's will. But note that it's also part of the divine will, and a precondition of having a covenant, that people have the God-given freedom to accept or reject God and what he requires of them. This is why David can pray, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. David knows God through the covenant and through the marvellous deeds done by God in the life of the nation. Think of the Exodus and in his own past. He says, when I'm in distress, I call to you because you answer me. So David knows that God is mighty to save, as Isaiah puts it. But he also knows that God doesn't save everyone from everything all the time. After all, David is only praying to God in this psalm because he is in distress. So we shouldn't treat God like a transcendent wish-dispensing machine, where if we put in enough prayer we'll get out whatever we want. If we do that we'll be disappointed. But neither should we fall into the assumption that God will never give us that for which we pray. Think of the Exodus again. Rather, we need to pray in a Christ-like spirit of, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's uh, Luke 22.42. When David declares, I will glorify your name forever in verse 12, a belief in immortality is implied, if not asserted. As uh, the theologian J.A. Mochia explains, in verse 13, David is confident that divine unfailing love will deliver, the verb's future, even if his enemies bring him to the grave and in Sheol, in the afterlife, uh, he faces the life beyond. In other words, David recognises that God will not rescue him from death, even if God prevents his death at the hands of his current enemies. And so he takes a step back to look at the bigger eternal picture. In light of the new covenant relationship, we have a clearer grasp of that bigger picture than David did. And we can say with Paul from Romans, 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. David's attitude here puts me in mind of that incident of three friends in the prophet uh, Daniel, the friends of the prophet Daniel, who under the death threats of King Nebuchadnezzar famously respond, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not... We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Daniel three sixteen to 18 Like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, David has an ultimate confidence grounded in who God is without being either presumptuous or despairing about what God will do here and now. This is precisely the attitude to suffering adopted by the apostles of the New Covenant. As Paul, <coughs> as Paul writes in Romans 5, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Or, um, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, writes James. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So in the midst of our present distress, may the Lord direct our hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance, so that like David, we can trust God with our eternity, without being either presumptuous or despairing about what he will do for us here and now. Amen.